five to seven years is not a, a big undertaking to be free. The challenge people have is when they go to somebody else's program, someone else's course, someone's seminar, someone's book, they're talking about making a bazillion dollars by next Wednesday, right? And that sounds way sexier. No, forget this guy. Five years, I want my money tomorrow, right? This other guy says I'll be rich by Wednesday. But typically when you talk to older people, they've been through all that already. And they're like, no, 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 I'm chasing freedom now. I'm not chasing the Lamborghini and a yacht. I'm chasing freedom. Welcome to the Income Flip Podcast, a podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's episode, I've got Scott Jelnick with me. Now, Scott has coined what he calls the slow flip. I love the name. And when you listen to this episode, you're going to understand why you may want to deep dive on his model. Imagine having 178 checks come in every single month. Imagine being the bank, not having to worry about tenants and toilets and all the rest. If you're interested in understanding how to do real estate creatively, then I'm going to encourage you to deep dive on Scott's model, the slow flip. Listen up. Grid, guess what? I got Scott Jelnick. Did I pronounce that right, Scott? You're perfect. You pronounced perfect. it perfectly. From Virginia Beach, or although not originally from Virginia Beach. By way right? of New York. <laughs> That's right. And so I, I've got Scott with us here, and we're going to delve a little bit into his story and kind of talk about this concept of the slow flip, right? And I, I'm excited about jumping that, uh, jumping into that with you, Scott. But hey, welcome to the Grid Investor Podcast, man. We, we're now changing it to Grid, you know, what I call the income flip. Um, where we help people move from active income to passive income. But I, I'm super pumped to have you on, Scott. I, I'm thrilled to be here. And I love the income flip. I loved what you said about it. It's because at first when I saw income flip, I wasn't sure what the flip part meant. And I love that mm -hmm. you said it's flipping from active income to passive income. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's how my brain thinks about it on the journey that I've been on over the last 20 years, right? It's like, what, what, what was that journey? What is that journey? And it's like, well, the journey has been the take that active income and move it towards more of a, a passive recurring kind of income. And so same journey I'm on. That's awesome. Well, and let's, let's, let's start off with some basics, right? Um, when did you get into the business? So I got into the business almost by accident. I, and if you, I don't know if you remember, but this was 1994. I bought my very first house and I bought it to live in. And I, the reason I say, I don't know if you remember is way back then they had a thing called non-qualifying assumptions. I don't know if you remember that. And they did away with them in 87 for FHA and 89 for VA. But anybody can take over a mortgage. And it's like sub two, but with the bank's blessing, right? Mm -hmm. And so this house was, I was renting a townhouse at the time. And I, I used to mow lawns. And this house came for sale. My brother got me the flyer and it said $5,000 down, non-qualifying. And it was $675 a month. I was paying $675 a month at the time. And I had $5,000. So I just, no interest in real estate, but thought better to own than to rent, right? So so I met with the agent and I ended up purchasing that property and I moved into it. And again, no interest in real estate. Well, about three weeks after I bought it, I'm mowing lawns in the neighborhood, townhouse lawns now. A sign comes up for sale on the block. They're all townhouses. They're identical. And this one said $2,000 down takeover payments. And I got pissed because I didn't do research. And I know this doesn't make any sense now, but at the time, all I knew was I paid $5,000 down and this one was $2,000 down and I felt like someone ripped me off. And, um, and so I went and looked at the other one and I just decided, let me buy this one also so that it kind of cost averaged me out to 3,500 better than five grand, right? 
And, and again, I really hadn't thought about real estate, but now I was forced to every single month. I rented it out and every month the tenant would pay me and I would pay the mortgage. And every month it was drilling into me that I borrowed this money and they're paying it off. I borrowed it, they're paying it off. Mm. And it, it became an obsession of mine way back then. And this is a long time ago where the, all our deals were in the Saturday newspaper. And every Saturday I'd be scrolling, looking for non-qualifying assumptions. Some of them as cheap as 500 down. The most I'd usually spend is about 5,000 down. And I would just buy them and rent them out. And that was the whole plan. Buy them and wait out time, right? I love that. Uh, Carlton Sheets. Uh, yeah, that's my first course. I still got yeah, it. My, have, my first course too. I have no way to play it anymore because we don't have VHS or cassette players anymore. But um, but yeah, I still have it. Oh my God. Hang on one second. Of course, I didn't turn this bad boy off, but they'll, they'll edit this. Of course, you know, it'd be, it'd be my wife calling, right? I normally turn this off. Um, so yeah, Car- Carlton Sheets was my was my first course. I remember late night infomercial, and I didn't I didn't pick that up. I think until like nineteen ninety nine. You know, that's that's around when I, I graduated college, is ninety eight ninety nine, and I was like, okay. Um, it was ninety seven. I graduated. I think so. Then I think it was a late night infomercial, Carlton Sheets, 1997, right? My very first time I ever saw Kiyosaki was a late night infomercial. And I bought, he, he used to have a course on late night infomercial, which I still have. And it was called Choose to be Rich. Mm. And, um, and, and I didn't even know about the book at the time. Now, the book existed, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but I didn't even know about it. And I bought this course and I loved it. And then I remember one day I was in Target and I was like, wait, that's the same guy. And I bought the book. So I already had his course long before I ever even knew that book was out there. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 put a a lot of stuff out. It's very cool. So so you 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 buy these two properties, it's getting drilled into your head, right? That that somebody else is paying off this uh this debt. Like walk me through the evolution of your thinking. So now I start buying as many as I can, right? Again, which wasn't a lot. I'm still mowing loans, so I'm saving what I can. And I got to 20 properties by 2001. Now, in 2001, that was the first time in my career anyway, where we started seeing appreciation. Because up until then, I was taking over these properties for the same price these people bought them for in 88, 87, 89. And I was taking them over non-qualifying, just paying out their equity. There There was no appreciation. And then 2001 came and all of a sudden my little $65,000 townhouse was 90 grand. And I'm like, no way, 110 grand, hundred. And I was like, it was crazy. So I started going to all these seminars now. Now the seminar business is booming and every week they're in town. And so I started going to the seminars and everything that I had planned on, which was wait out time and pay these things off, was told to me that I was an idiot. No, refi, pull out the equity, buy more, pull out the equity and buy more, pull out the equity and buy more. And so I did that. And, um, and I got to 84 properties until hmm. in, in, 2007. And when 2007 came, and I know everybody says it was 2008, and I'm like, I assure you it was 2007. You can look at my QuickBooks. It was 2007. <laughs> and, um, and it's slowly, I mean, not slowly. Overnight, I had 30, 40 properties stop paying. And it wasn't that because they were bad people. I don't know if you remember, but the whole, it wasn't just real estate. The whole economy went to crap instantly. Mm-hmm. And so even my good people weren't paying. And I had a lot of money at the time. I, not what I considered a lot of money back then. I had almost a million dollars in cash. And so I figured, well, I'll keep feeding the beast and weather the storm. And it can't last that long, right? It can't keep going. And I burned through every dollar that I had. Hindsight, I wish I stopped day one, but I, you know, hindsight's easy. Sure. 
And then when I ran out of money, you can, can guess what happened next. I lost about 55 of my houses to foreclosure. Mm. And, um, and that's rough. I mean, it's rough on anybody, but it's rough when I'm driving an Escalade that's wrapped in stop foreclosure, right? <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and so it was, a, it was a really rough time. Now, most of the people that I knew at the time that were real estate investors, mostly everybody, got crushed, but, but mostly everybody else went back to their previous lives. They went back to their job they had before they quit to be an investor. They went back to what they were doing prior. And I, I thought about it, except I, didn't ha- I already had this big lifestyle. I'm like, well, I can't go back to mowing lawns for $100 a day. That's not going to cut it. And um, so I didn't really have the ability to. So I started trying to keep looking around at what was different. Some people were flourishing. Some people were crushing it and flourishing. And so I kept trying to figure out what are they doing different that all these other people who got smoked, like myself, didn't do. And, and after multiple lunches and conversations and, you know, interv- I, I say interviewing, even though to them it was lunch, um, I, I noticed one thing that was really different than what everybody taught and what everyone else did, which was they all owned everything free and clear. Mm. And I was the opposite. I was, I was the, now Burr wasn't a thing back then. They didn't say the words Burr back then, but I was big into refi and redo, you know, financing my cause, finance everything. Mm -hmm. And they owned everything free and clear, their house that they lived in, their cars, all their rentals, everything was free and clear. And so it really opened up my eyes to, um, you know, you're looking at these guys who are 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, and they've been doing it 40 years. And that's the way they're doing it. Yet all of us younger guys were coming into it and we're following the seminar model. And, you know, and and we saw it was a house of cards. And Mm -hmm. so I revamped at that time, which is kind of how I got into the slow flip model. I, I started seeing houses, I, personal houses that I personally owned, right? That I lost. I'll give you real numbers on a house, Rob. And you're going to, you know, everybody's like, oh, it went down 20%, 30%. I'm like, no, it didn't. So I'm going to tell you real numbers on a house, a specific house. I paid 120000 for it. I got an 80% mortgage. It appraised at 199. They gave me $150,000. So I'm leaving closing like a superhero. I bought the house and I'm leaving with almost 30 grand after cost. I'm like, it's the best thing in the world. I'm so smart, right? That same house that appraised at 199 was one of the ones that got foreclosed on. I bought that house back from the bank. It was listed on MLS. I still own it today. I bought it back for 30 grand. Oh my God. This was not an anomaly. They were everywhere. They were getting smoked and the banks were like, give me what we can give me. The challenge was I was dead to banks because I haven't used a bank now since 2007. I was dead to banks because my credit obviously was shot. The deals were the best they've ever been, but how do you buy them? So, and I realized at this time also, I wanted to be free and clear, but how can you be free and clear without having cash to buy houses? So I came up with this plan of, I'm going to borrow private money and it can't be hard money because I had to do private so they can do my terms where it's amortized. So I don't have to refi or have a balloon payment. So I'm going to borrow private money, but what's the shortest amount of time I can borrow it for and pay it off and not be upside down monthly? And that came out to be five years. And so mm-hmm. we borrow money now on a 30,000, for instance, we pay 12% interest. So we pay a lot of interest, right? On a $30,000 mortgage for five years, the payment is 667, 33. But I would, what I do is I immediately sell that house now. I sell it immediately. Back then it was 89,000. Those same houses now are 220. So I would sell it for 89,000 and their payment to me was 875 a month, but it's for 30 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm borrowing it. So I'm not making any money for the first five years. So I'm borrowing it on a five-year mortgage and then I'm selling it on a 30-year mortgage. And, uh, and we would just, we started killing it. I mean, just all day long, buy them as fast as we can, we'll sell them as fast as we can, you know, because we weren't renovating them. We weren't doing anything. We're just 
we're selling them immediately. And why would someone buy from us then? Why would someone buy? If the houses are available for 30, why would someone pay you 89? Well, because the one for 30, you had to pay cash. The one for 89 was three grand down and 875 a month. And mm -hmm. so that was the reason why I always say, we sell the financing, the house comes with it. Mm -hmm. And that, that was mm -hmm. the value proposition was, you can buy this one, it's financed for you. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the long answer to a short question of, of, you know, the backstory of how I got to do this. Well, let's, let's, let's take a step back and let me acknowledge a couple of things, right? Um, one, that must have been a really difficult time for you in 2007. Like emotionally difficult, um, identity-wise difficult. How did you get through that? It was challenging. And there's more to being difficult than even just that. I don't know. How long have you been investing, Rob? Since 1999. That's right. You told yeah. me that already. Since, since the 90s and full-time since 2004. But if yeah. you remember at the time, during the turmoil of the bust, there was yeah. investors. It was in the paper every day. People going to prison, right? And, I'm like, and I would read the article. And I'm like, I still don't understand what he did. Like, I would literally read the article. And so that was an added looming thing on my head. I'm like, I'm like, we didn't do anything wrong, but I'm reading the article. And I'm like, this guy didn't do anything wrong either. Not that I can see. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I'm like, we're losing all the houses. I have zero income coming in. I see people that I knew that were real estate investors literally went to prison. One guy went for five years. I'm like, and I couldn't find the crime. Like I read through everything and I'm like, I don't see what he did. And um, they were trying to make examples of people to, you know, to justify the housing bus. So it wasn't their fault. Right. And so we had all kinds of, and I had a son born. My son was born in 09. Mm -hmm. And so we had all kinds of stuff going on simultaneously. And, um, and it was tough. I could remember, you know, I, I tell a story sometimes to people. I can remember, I used to drive around, look at houses every day. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I can remember when I, I, it wasn't that I was broke. I still had some assets. I still had stuff going, but I didn't have any cash. And I remember saying to the guy who was riding with me that um, back then the gas cost me about $100 per fill up because gas was more expensive and I had a, I had a truck. And, um, and I called him my $100 bell. And I remember telling him when we left that day to go look at houses, I said, when the light comes on, we're grounded because that was it. I had no more <laughs> money. My cards were maxed. I had no more money. And I remember we got back to the office that day and right as we're pulling in, ding, and the light came on. And I was like, that's it. You know, there is, it was tough. I mean, for, for people that solely relied on real estate as our income, there was no side things, no job, wasn't part-time. Other than the people that were free and clear, it was an extremely, extremely tough time. Yeah. Scott, was this in Virginia Beach? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's, uh, people had to learn how to pivot, right? And, and so a lot of people got out of the business, just like you said. Yep. Uh, and then those of us that ask the better question right. how can we how can we pivot to a place that is making money right now uh, that that it, it then became a good it became an opportunity for people right opportunity you, of a lifetime i wish i embraced i have 178 properties now i mm -hmm. wish i embraced it fully i'd have a thousand seven hundred you know i mean i just was scared you know we just of didn't, course we you just, just got burned of course yeah. of course no no man i it sounds like you embraced it uh, you know, it's funny because in 2008, I partnered with somebody that had a lot of money because I was recently self-employed because I just left in 2005 full time. And we started buying assets in 2008, 2009. Um, and I look back, and, you know, we have a handful, uh, but I look back and I'm like, we should have bought a freaking hundred, right? Yeah. Now, it looks like, it sounds like you bought a hundred, right? But let me see if I understand this correctly. So you're 
you were essentially getting private funds at like 12%. And then you, um, you resold the asset for a higher dollar value. And you probably, what was the, what was the interest rate that you were selling it on a 30, on a 30 year? To come to 875, now they varied. Some sold for 119, but the average is 89,000 with 3,000 down, 86,000 was financed. I think it came to 11.61%. So it. actually it was a lower interest rate than I was paying, but they're paying on a higher dollar amount an, and for longer term. Got it, got it. And so um, was it like a contract for deed or were yes. they? Or, okay, got it. Yep. So you were doing Very a contract good. for deed and, yep. and when they fully paid it off, that's when it was officially done. Correct. And a lot of them, a lot of them, these past two years did just that because some of these houses, I, I bought houses for 20, 30 grand, sold them for 89. Well, the value shot up and some of these guys renovated them and sold them at two and a quarter. And so they crushed it. So they do well. And guess what happens when they get this money? They're calling me and say, I need some more houses. Mm -hmm. And so a, the, a primary part of our market is selling to investors. And so a lot of times people are like, well, Scott, you're stupid. You could have kept it and made the $200,000 on it. I'm like, yeah, then I would be a, t a landlord. I would have been the one to renovate it. I would be the one to do these maintenance for the past six, seven years. Instead, all I did was shuffle some papers and I got 178 checks coming on the first of the month. That's it. I'm not running around doing that landlord stuff. I, I just, I, I tell people I operate like a bank. I'm not, I'm not a maintenance guy. Scott, is that, and is that what you, uh, you've um, coined the slow flip? Is that Correct. the slow flip? That's it. There's two sides to the slow flip. There's the buy side and the sell side. So the buy side is where we try to pay them off within five years. And the reason I segment them as buy and sell side, because we also will buy sub twos and then sell them on the third year financing. And, you know, if there's good spread, we'll still do it that way. And then the sell side is selling it with owner financing for 30 years. You know, it was interesting. Um, so I'll tell you a quick story, um, but it, it really kind of cements what you're talking about. So when I decided to go full time, right? I um, I looked at our market, and this was the summer of 05, and everything was just like, just like the prices were stupid high, couldn't make the numbers work from a buy and hold perspective. And I started looking at some submarkets, and I found a submarket two hours away from where I lived, where you could still buy on what appeared to be like the 1% rule, right, as an example. Yeah. And uh, it was low low income kind of market and you could buy a duplex for 50 grand and I started sending letters out to this area and I was getting lots of phone calls and I started talking to lots of landlords and I found that 99% of all the landlords hated yeah. their hated what they like being a landlord in that market now I should have listened I didn't listen I just thought well they're not sophisticated business owners and don't know how to manage the properties properly all that stuff but there was one guy, right, that I met, and he loved, like, everything. He loved what he did. And essentially, he did exactly what you're talking about doing, yeah. right? I was about to say, those properties are the worst properties in the world for a landlord. They're the worst. And that's the reason the opportunity exists, because rehabbers don't want them because there's not good ARVs out there. And landlords don't want them because they're the, they're the highest amount of work and smallest amount of money. But for owner financing, for slow flips, they're the best. Because it's great cash flow and somebody else puts their heart into it. It's not your heart. And that's what makes them the best. Yeah, it was interesting. So so he, you know, he explained the model. He said, listen, I go to the auction, I buy them for 30. I mean, literally, like the numbers are the same. Wow. I buy them for 30, $40,000. And then what he would do is he would do a little uh he'd do a little bit of work to kind of like get them to a certain level, right? And then he would sell them for like ninety thousand dollars. 
and he wouldn't finish finish the full reno. He wanted them to to put right. their hard earned right. money and sweat equity into the asset. And he had 300 of these every single wow. month. Nice. Right? Just just paying him every and he's like he'd been doing it 30 some odd years. Uh, in fact, he'd actually gotten an award from the 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 city for being kind of like helping create, you know, create home ownership for a lot of people, right? right? And he was like, I'm not a landlord. I don't have to deal with like, you know, in Maryland, you got to deal with like lead laws and all this other stuff. He's like, I, they don't call me, right? Like I'm, I'm just the bank, you know, doing just the bank. I, I'm doing contract for deed. And I remember I was like, oh, interesting. And I didn't listen. Does that make sense? Uh, like, uh, yeah. is that, that I didn't, I didn't listen. I was like, I'm, and I went and did what I thought was the traditional way I'd buy some stuff. And then what happened was I had trouble one day trying to unload an asset, one that we had renovated. I'm like, let me just stick a sign in the yard and say like a thousand dollars down $500 a month. Right. Dude, my phone blew up. Right. And I ended up selling that property. Right. And, And then like four or five years later, they, they kind of paid that thing off and I made great money. And and you know, to this day, I should probably go back to that. That town, by the way, that town you buy a duplex there fifty years ago. You know, um, fifty thousand uh, back then. Fifty thousand today, it's still fifty thousand. Wow! It, it just never kind that's of. That's the way they are. We buy in Midwest markets, and that's the way they are. They're the exact price they were thirty years ago. The exact price they were ten years ago. The exact price they are today. But we get great cash cash flow, so I'm good with it. So Scott, so actually, that brings up a question. So, uh, so you, it sounds like you invest not only in in your backyard. Right, but you're Correct. you're kind of investing all over. Well, we try and stay in pockets, and and what I mean, so I have a group, I have a group that I train and I coach, and and so I try and teach them to all. We all invest in pockets so that we have infrastructure there, so you're not just randomly buying one house in some random town. So we buy, I buy primarily in Virginia. I love it out here, but they're harder and harder to find lately because of our price mm-hmm. boom we had. So we also buy in Illinois, we buy in Missouri, and we buy in Indiana, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and so we have a lot mm-hmm. like. They'll, you know, within the group. So I might buy 20 out there, but then within the group, they're also buying. And this way we have an attorney who does every, all of our stuff out there. We have somebody who goes and puts on the lock boxes and changes the, uh, you know, changes the locks and takes pictures. And so it makes it easier on everybody to be every, you know, to be in certain pockets of the areas and not just random one out in a different state. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I was just in St. Louis and I was talking to uh, one of my grid leaders in St. Louis and he was telling me, you know, St. Louis, he feels like they experienced the boom. And so now he's going out to the literally the markets that you just kind of like mentioned, right? Yeah. And um and he said you could still you could still buy there and it still makes sense, right? Um if but I you told you the to- numbers, I'm sorry to cut you off, Rob. If I told you some of the numbers out there, we're buying houses out there, some houses for seventeen thousand dollars. And you would huh. think for seventeen thousand, what are you assuming? You get four sheets of plywood and a tarp, right? But they're decent houses that we don't touch and we get $8.75 a month for. I'm like, when you do the calculations, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Why is it available for these prices? It's not like we're marketing and finding a motivated seller. They're just available. And it's crazy. So so what are the risks if somebody does this, Scott? Like, what are, what are, the, what are the things that people need to be aware of? So one of the big risks would be if you have no, if you have no um, um, backup money, if you didn't fill it right away, then you're going to have to make your pay. If you use the five-year plan that we do, it's six, 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 seven a month if uh, you borrow 30 grand. So you're going to have a payment to make. If it's like in my market, we fill them in 
two to four hours. The Midwest markets, they take two to four weeks. So, and then, so suppose you had an anomaly bad one and it took you two months. Well, now you got to be prepared to make that payment in the interim. Once you have somebody, it kind of goes away because everybody's like, yeah, but what if they don't pay? What if you have to do an eviction? And all that's true. However, once you have your first buyer, the way I teach my people anyway, is we keep all that money. We don't take anything. Keep that money. They generally put three to five grand down. I said, just keep it in the account. And if you ever have a default, now you have that three to five grand to manage the payment while you did an eviction and put a new person in there. So it's really just in the beginning where if you have a, you have a loan now and the payment's due in 30 days, if you didn't fill it in time, you have to be prepared that, you know, the private lenders are the key to the whole thing. So they mm-hmm. must be paid perfectly every single time mm-hmm. without sale. And um, mm-hmm. that's the biggest risk. The, mm-hmm. I've had, so I've had scenarios and I'll tell you that I thought was the, the end of the world, right? I've had scenarios with a guy, I, we sell a lot to investors. Well, I had this one guy who wanted to be an investor, I guess, and he was going to rehab it himself. Apparently, he gutted the place. He defaulted. We got the place back. And when I when I opened the door, I was like, oh, my God, it was studs. He mm. gutted the place. And I, it, my heart sunk. And I was like, oh, God, I'm, you know, what am I going to do now? Still marketed it the same as always. But instead of handyman special, we marketed it as contractor special. And it's still filled instantly. Same numbers. And I'm like, man. And I love it because now I go by and it's a brand new house. Like somebody else put their heart and soul into it. It's a brand new house. Now they're probably clearing four or $500 a month because they make it into a rental for themselves. And we're happy with what we're getting. We still got what we originally set out to get. It's got equity. If he ever wants to sell it or refi, it's his house. We're just the bank. We just collect the payments. And that was like a worst case scenario. And it still turned out to be wildly profitable. So, so interesting. Yeah. So so another, another, another piece that I, I just kind of picked up and learned here was it sounds like maybe the majority of your end users are other investors. Yeah, so I'm I'm going to refer to this guy as 2005 Scott, just so you know who I'm talking about. So 2005 Scott, which was me back in 2005, would buy more or less anything I could that I can get financed on. But basically, when I was doing non-qualifying assumptions, I was doing owner financing. If somebody would finance me and I can make a spread monthly, two, $300 a month, I was all over it. Well, all of the seminars, training programs, and everything that's out there in the world today teaches the same stuff that they taught back then, even though we know what could happen, right? It may never happen again, but we know what could happen. Well, they all teach the same thing. And so these guys come out of these programs and they're looking for me. They're looking for somebody that's saying 5,000 down, owner will finance, no credit check. And so we sell to a lot of these guys, then they fix them up and make them nice. And then they rent them out a lot through Section 8, a lot through government programs with like people getting out of jail or rooming house. And they make good money. Some make three, four, five hundred $500 a month. So they're happy. They, I have my number one guy has 13 houses with me. So mm-hmm. they're happy. They make a lot of money with it. I'm happy. They're do, I'm just a bank. You know, they come in and drop off their checks or they do it through our portal. And they're the ones doing the work. They're the ones dealing with the tenant. They're the ones if somebody defaulted that goes to court. They're the ones who do all that. We are trying to just be a bank. Yeah. That, I, that's what I like. I love that. Be the bank. Right. We like we always talk about when we're, when we're training people, we, we kind of start them off with the concept of of being the wholesaler because they need to understand kind of like what that world looks like. And the end result at the end of the year is like be the bank, right? Figure yeah. out a way to be the bank, right? Whether you're the private lender or if you're creating a bank arbitrage, a spread, which is what banks do anyways with our right. money, right? Like they borrow it from us and, and then they lend it back to us, right? And, and create that spread. So I just did my biggest, I wholesale also, and I just did about two and a half months ago, my biggest wholesale deal ever. And um, we made a $250,000 assignment fee on it. And it was through a tech, it's in a non-taxable account. 
But I was in a rush when we closed on it to get that money out into slow flips. And the reason is we make, we average our bad deals on slow flips make a 20% return. Our average deals make 27 to 30% return. So the way I'm looking at it is I take that 250 and throw it out there into slow flips. Instead of me having 250 to go spend right now, I have $50,000 a year forever. And, um, and I'm like, I'll take that all day long over 250 right now. And, and it's already all out there. And that was kind of, as soon as I closed, I was like, all right, let's go shopping. Scott, I'm not, I, not shopping for Lamborghinis. I'm shopping for more houses. I, I love it. I love it. You know, I have to give you credit because like so many people, when they experienced what you experienced in 2007, they would have just been like, okay, I'm calling it a day. I'm going to go. Real estate doesn't work. I've heard that all the time. Real estate doesn't work. Real estate doesn't work, right? But you had to ask a better question. You had to figure out a better way, right? Uh, maybe you were like, listen, there's no other option. Like, I've got to make this work, which yeah. which I oftentimes find you got to burn the boats, right? Like, you're like, there's people that have made money doing this. I got to figure out a way to make, make it work. Um, when you stumbled onto this, right? And I guess you didn't stumble onto it. I mean, you, 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 you learned it. Actually, how did it come to you? Did we talk? So like, it, it was a couple of different things. So yeah, it came to me because the pricing got down so low and I couldn't use banks. So I had to figure out how to fund them. But there was a guy and, and he's passed away now. His name was Lonnie Scruggs. I don't know if you knew him. Mm -hmm. he, he did, he, he wrote books and he taught people um, doing uh, mobile homes on almost the same program that we do with houses now, but houses you couldn't do back then for that price point. And he would buy houses for $2,000 and then sell them on like an eight-year finance thing. And, and I did the mobile homes too. I learned from him and I did them for a while because again, you couldn't buy houses in these price points. Then when the market crashed, I'm looking at the price. I'm like, well, we can do the same thing, but do it with houses. Mm -hmm. And then not seven years, let's finance them for 30 years. Everybody's accustomed to a 30-year mortgage. I said, let's give them what they want. <laughs> and uh, so we did these 30-year mortgages and and it's great when you look at an amortization schedule and you know this, I mean, you've looked at them, even everybody, I always tell people, I say, look at your own house. Don't take my word for it. You know, people don't realize amortization schedule is evil genius. It's evil when you're on the paying side of it. 100%. Right? When you're on the collecting side, you're like, they just gave you 875 bucks, but only $30 went to the purchase of the house. That 870, that 840 was, was profit. It's, it's interest. And I mean, and you go 10 years in and they, they're paid down like six grand of that 86,000. I mean, it's crazy the way an amortization schedule works. And they do that because they know the average person, I think in America moves every, it's like every three and a half to five years or something. So they know you're never getting past that paying all the interest. And, um, and the way, you know, again, I just want to be the bank. I didn't want to be actively involved like I used to be. I love that. Um, yeah, because actively involved means heavy management, yeah. right? In that, um, I got a couple questions that, but uh, to ask you regarding, tracking of the money and making sure that it's organized correctly and all that stuff. But before I ask you that question, um, it has to do with building teams because it sounds like you've built teams around in other markets to be able to execute this plan, right? Correct. What, is it, what does that look like? Right? Zero like employees. I have no employees at all. I'm an island of one, right? Everybody hates mm -hmm. that. They want to scale, scale, scale. I'm like, listen, I have no overhead and I like it that way. Although I pay people for what they do. So I'll pay them. Like when people do videos, meet the locksmith, that sort of, we'll give them 200 bucks. Some of them areas, it's 150 bucks. I'm happy to pay them, but they're not employees. We have an attorney that we'll have out. We have an attorney in Illinois. We have an attorney in Indiana. We have an attorney in Missouri. And they'll, so, so our buyers can go in, he does the paperwork and does what, like a soft closing, even though it's not like a real closing because it's a contract for deed, but they'll do it in an attorney's office 
So now they're comfortable, everybody's comfortable, and they know it was done properly. And we don't have to have it done, you know, through the mail where what are they going to think if they did it through the mail? I'm getting scammed. Some guy in Nigeria is having, sure. me, you know, FedEx him, you know, overnight money. So we let them go to a local attorney's office to do the paperwork. And and that's important to have, you know, in insurance companies everywhere you are. And if you needed somebody to go in uh, to do something, the, the, the lawn care has been the best thing in the world. I don't know if you know about this app they have called GreenPal. Have mm-hmm. you looked at that? Mm-hmm. It is. I've been using it for like three years now and it's changed everything because that was one of the biggest headaches with a vacant property is I got to get somebody to cut the lawn. And most companies don't want to do um, one time. They want to put it on a route. And so then you'd find a guy to do it, but he wants you to meet him there and give him 50 bucks. And I'm like, oh, all this work, right? Now they have an app that works just like Uber. You just type in the address and all of a sudden you'll get five, 10, 20 bids and you can read all their reviews. And then you just hit the one you want. They go out and do it, take a picture and they get paid automatically. My God, you know, that's so the, cool, right? the app. You never see anybody. You don't talk to anybody. I love it. And um, so there's just, there's things like that. There's so many different things that used to be a headache or a hassle that once we get it figured out, there's no hassle anymore. I mean, I, if I told you how little I work, um, I, I don't like to ever say it because it's almost embarrassing how little I work. People are like, you can do so much more. I'm like, well, I could also be out on the boat. And uh, that's what I did that's today, right. waiting, waiting to come with you. I, you know, I, uh, I, I, I don't work too much and I, I don't want to. You know, if you want to do a whole lot more, you're welcome to. I'm, you know, I'm going to be 50 this month. I feel like I've, I've worked plenty over the years and uh, I don't work so much anymore. Scott, that's awesome. You know, it's it's funny because I was just having a conversation with a close friend of mine. And um, he's a very successful commercial real estate investor. He didn't start in commercial. He started in residential and, and uh, you know, started wholesaling, then rehabbing, um, then doing kind of like luxury rehabs and went into uh, custom luxury, new construction. And then he was like, I'm so tired of people nitpicking me and like it being like, so he, he sold you know, some, some large assets and then started buying commercial triple net lease commercial, right. And doing right. that stuff. And his whole conversation with me early on, this was like 20 years ago. And I reminded him of this the other day. He said, Rob, I want to keep it small and keep it all right. And, and what he meant by that was he, he didn't mean I want to have a small business, but he, what he meant was I don't want to have a lot of employees, right? I, I want to be able to continue to build my assets over time and and build a portfolio that I could never have dreamed to just be on my wildest dreams to, to have. And he's like, it doesn't require a lot of manpower, right, to do to do it. You know, you got brokers that are in markets and you got attorneys that are in markets. And he's like, it's pretty much all I need, right? I don't yep. I don't need much else. Um and so he does do the management of those assets where he gets a broker to do the management, uh, you know, fill them. Um, when COVID hit, I did worry about him and he was like, ah, I was fine. Like it was, he was like, it, it was totally fine. And it's not office space. It's all kind of like industrial or it's, flex. you know, uh, flex space and, and things like that. Um, apartments, some apartment buildings, but, but there's, there's kind of like that building a life, right? Like real estate investor as a real estate investor, you could, you could, you could scale your hard money business. Or you could scale your your agent business like I have. Or you could scale, and it requires a lot of mar- marketing, a lot of employees. Right, take a lot of risk when yep. when you do something like that. But there comes a point where you got to say, "I'm building this thing to create a lifestyle, the lifestyle that I want to create." Right. right? Um, which which I'd love to get your 
philosophy kind of around that, right? Yeah. Um, when did you start thinking this way? So 2013, I was already doing slow flips and I, and I was, I had a wholesale business going at the time, you know, uh, that was fairly big. I had employees back then. I had a bunch of buyers, sellers, coordinators. I had marketing people and, um, and I did my first 30 days, 10 years ago this month. I literally, I just got home two days ago, 10 years ago this month. And I always thinking about it because of that's the, my 10 year anniversary from when I, when I was away, I had 30 days. We had this big, beautiful beach house in Panama and I had a lot of time to think, right? Well, one of the things I realized while I was gone is my employees didn't work for me. I worked for them. I was mm -hmm. doing deals I would not have done just because I didn't want them to not make their commission. I didn't want them to be disappointed. I, I was doing deals I wouldn't have done because I got to keep the contractors working or else they're going to go find for someone else to work for. So I, so I was doing marginal deals and I had to do so many, I had to do five deals a month, a month just to break even. And then, so, so then if, if I did three deals one month, well, next month I got to do seven just to break even to make up the laws. And if, and it was felt like I was always chasing, I was never making money. We were doing more deals than ever, but it was hard to be profitable because I had so much overhead. So I had this realization while I was away in Panama and the day I got home, I ended it. And I got, I've been a one man band ever since I ended it all. Like I was clear. I had, you know, again, 30 days is a lot of time to think I was clear that I would like it better when it was just me. And that, so ever since then, I'm back to, I always joke and I say, I just dabble. Everybody's like, well, how many deals do you do? I said, I do less deals than ever now, like wholesaling, but I make more money than ever because it's just me. My wife answers the, it's not just me. It's me and my wife. My wife answers the phone, sets the appointments. I go on the appointments, then I'll sell it. You know, and I just send some texts. I sell it. And when I get a check for 25, 30 grand or 250 grand, it's mine. I don't have to just, I used to be, I just put it in the account and it just went, you know, it had everywhere to go. Now I mm -hmm. get the check and it's mine. And mm -hmm. I like it a lot better this way. I love that, man. Yeah, you're you're kind of, you, uh, I, you know, I have a friend of mine that owns the largest home buying business in this area. And he's kind of echoed your sentiment right now. And we run a very large agent business, multiple businesses. And we were just going through the numbers for August. And I was like, okay, August looks pretty pretty bad, right? Like August looks pretty bad right now. And you've got this, we've got this overhead. We've got to, you know, we need to hit 15 just to break even. Yeah. And we're at five and we've got, you know, 13 days left in the month. Yeah. Right. So it's like this, you got to be careful what, what you're building. I think part of the discussion that we're, we're talking about right now is you have to be very aware of what you're building. Many times when you go to these seminars, or you talk to people, you know, you, you buy into all the glitz and glamour, but they don't tell you the price you have to pay right. in order to build the thing that's being built. They right? all talk about scale, but I think what, what people, where they fail, and this is something I taught when I, I used to do live events. I stopped live events last year, but one of the things I used to teach when we come up with coming up with your future vision is rather than everybody's trying to come up with what they want their business to look like. I'm like, no, let's put down on paper what you want your life to look like. Mm -hmm. And now we'll figure out what kind of business can we operate in the time that's left. And rather than the opposite, because everyone else does the opposite. They're like, figure out your business, your business, your business, and try and live your life in the time that's left. And I'm like, well, that's stupid. Who cares how much money you have if you're busy all the time and you never see your family and never get to do anything? Scott, do you still, I love that. Do you still own that property in Panama? Uh, no, we rented. We were renting there. We were oh, there for a renting. month. We were just renting. I am closing. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. This 
not this week, next Wednesday. So today's only Tuesday. Next Wednesday, I'm going to, I'm buying my first out of country house and it's in Bimini, Bahamas. Uh-huh. And, um, and okay. I am very excited about it. And the reason is, you know, again, I'm always planning. I'm always planning for the future, for the future, for the future. Well, my son now is 14. And so we're planning for when he goes to college, we're going to start doing our winters there. And so we bought it's beautiful. I don't know if you've been to Bimini. We mm-hmm. bought this beautiful beach, you know, right on the water, big, beautiful house. And we're probably, we're going to go, you know, holidays right now. And, you know, for the, till he's out of school, but once he leaves, we'll do the winters, but we are going to rent it in between. But, um, it's something I've always wanted to do, but I was, pl- I, I figured I'd wait till he left for college, but I was like, well, let's do it now. We can still use it. And then when, when we're ready, then we're going to start doing a couple, three months a year. Did you do the, the mental exercise? Cause I went through this, my, my little girl's 21. And so we're now, and like, which is weird. We only have one. And so I only have like, one as well. Okay. I'm like, we're kind of like empty nesters now, right? Which is bizarre. And I'm like, I don't want to spend any more cold winters here. Right. And so Costa Rica is kind of like my place. Yep. But I went and ran the numbers and I was like, I don't think, I think I could only handle a month of Costa Rica, but I would spend the rest of the time in like Florida, right? Only because I don't think I'll buy there. I think I'll rent like you did in Panama for a month, right? right? And then... And then be somewhere in Florida to kind of just be in the game. Like, I'm still excited, you know, about doing all the stuff that we're doing. And uh, in Costa Rica, make, make it harder to be in the game. Like, I would be too relaxed, too much pura vida, right? Yeah, um, I love did, Costa Rica, too. That's a good time. Did you yeah. ever go through kind of the mental exercise of, like, maybe doing something like in Puerto Rico or Florida um, so I have versus... Friends- Recently did that. I have one that actually moved to Puerto Rico. Uh, one good friend of mine, he moved to Puerto Rico. I have another one who's in Florida right now who just bought a place. And we have, my, my wife and I have thought about where would we be happiest. We've, we're Bahamas people. We always love the Bahamas. We go there all the time, you know. And, um, but we also, you know, I like, I like there to be some action. There's a lot of islands in the Bahamas, right? And, and there's really only three that have any action. And that's, you know, by action, I mean they have like concerts and a casino and, you know, and, and some kind of nightlife. And Nassau is too big of a city to me. I love going to Atlantis, but it's a big city. I mean, there's KFC and McDonald's sure. and, the and the traffic. <laughs> and then the other one's Freeport and, you know, Grand Bahama Island. And that one's got really run down over the last several years. And it's not a place I think I would want to be. But Bimini is a small island. There's still a good local population. So it's not like you're in a tourist island. There is 1,800 local, you know, local Bohemians that live there. And so it still is local, but there's also a casino. There's also, they have a big beach club there. They have concerts and DJs all the time. That's and fun. And so I think, you know, I think it's the right island for us. I think we're going to enjoy it a lot. That's fantastic. Well, that comes from hard work and it comes from having a vision. So let's talk a little bit because I, I think this is a really important thing. People just start building things without really understanding what they're building. And I love the fact that you said, well, let's build your life. What do you want your ideal life to look like? And then let's build a business that kind of in, like that serves the way you want to live your life, right? What's been your big epiphany when you walk people through that process? And how do you walk people through that process? So first, let me take you back to myself. I screwed up. And this is why I I think it's so important for other people. I had 20 properties before we had any appreciation, right? And these properties, I owed very little on them. And they were, they appreciated three times what I owed on them or three times what I bought them for. They were, they were all in in the end, the end of a 30 year mortgage that, you know, down to like the last 12 years before I did what I was taught to do, which was refi and parlay it to more. The reason I always talk about that is because if I, if I had this done in advance and I had a future vision and I knew what I was trying to accomplish, I didn't have to participate in the boom. 
I could have just kept those 20 and it would have been 20, $25,000 a month in just a couple of years. And that would have been plenty to live whatever future vision I had at the time. But instead, because I had no idea, I just wanted more. And that's what I always get out of people. I'm like, what are you trying to accomplish? And the answer is more. I'm like, well, we'll never get there. You know, you'll, if it's always more, then you can just keep working. You're never going to actually have it. Well, I could have just stopped and, and managed what I had, but I was just going for more, right? For no particular reason and ended up parlaying it and subsequently losing it in the chase for more. And so that's why I try and tell people that story and to be like, listen, you need to know what it is that you want. And so the way I take them through the exercise, people that are in my program is I have them basically put it on paper, your, your ideal life, right? What does it look like? Where do, where do you live? What kind of car do you drive? How many vacations do you take? What are you spending money on? And then we break it up into a monthly payment. And so what do you need? 10 grand a month, 30 grand a month, whatever that monthly amount is. And then we equate it to slow flips. Now, how many slow flips do I need to live that future vision? Because we can get most people there in five to seven years. And the mm. reason I say seven is because it's five years, but it takes time to acquire them. So that's why I say seven. From the time you acquired your last one, now you need five years to pay them off. And, um, and that's five to seven years is not a, a big undertaking to be free. The challenge people have is when they go to somebody else's program, someone else's course, someone's seminar, someone's book, they're talking about making a bazillion dollars by next Wednesday, right? And that sounds way sexier. No, forget this guy. Five years, I want my money tomorrow, right? This other guy says I'll be rich by Wednesday. But typically when you talk to older people, they've been through all that already. And they're like, no, 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 I'm chasing freedom now. I'm not chasing the Lamborghini and a yacht. I'm chasing freedom. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, I wrote something to my team the other day and I, I essentially said, you should be chasing freedom or you should be striving for freedom like you like you you like as if you needed oxygen, right? It's like that should that's the only that's the only focus. In the income flip, it's like, what is that number? What is that freedom that that freedom number that you have to hit? Ten grand, twenty grand, thirty, what whatever it is right now. And then you should just be building, you know, assets, buying assets to pay for that first level number, right? right? That you can, that, that hurdle. And what I love about what your, what your program talks about is that people can actually get there in five years, right? It took me 15 years because I, I kind of did the traditional buy something. Pay, and we put every, by the way, we put all of ours on like 15 year notes and, um, and it, it took about 15, 16 years to, to do it, right? I didn't have a strategy like you have, Scott, where I could- At least you, know, you did 15 years. That's still better than the alternative that most people do. Yeah, and so and so now I'm, and, and by the way, you're, you're 50 is young. Or like I'm going to, at least that's what I'm telling myself. I'm going to be 50 in November, right? 50 is young. That's like, you've created this at 50, right? Which gives you a lot of life right. to, to kind of move forward. Like, what do you want to do moving forward? Right? Do you just want to continue doing what you're doing moving forward? Do you have a different vision that you want to create for for your life? Like, I'm curious about. So that. I do enjoy, I do enjoy working with people and taking them through the program because now not everybody, and as you know, if you've done any kind of training, not everybody's going to embrace what you teach and what you do. But for the ones that do, it is amazing how you can you being the trainer or a teacher can turn someone's complete future around. And my my number one person is actually one of my youngest in my group. He's 29 and he's got seven or 87 already, 87 of them. And he's 29. He's only been with me four years. His first one comes paid off this December. And then it's like every month, every two months, there's another one, another one. And it's amazing to me. Like every time we talk, it's almost like 
it's amazing how much just because we met how much the, his future is different. And, and I have dozens of people like that. And that I really love. Now, there's also people that, you know, will say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, and never do anything. And that's the part we don't like. I mean, and I'm sure. sure if you do any kind of training, that's the hardest part of a training program is you, you can only help the people that actually do what you teach them to. But I do enjoy doing that. I can see probably doing that indefinitely mm -hmm. um, because it's something that I enjoy. I And you can do it from I, anywhere in the world. Right. And um, I probably will stop my wholesaling business when I start leaving. Right now, I got I have another four years. I'm not going anywhere because my son's still, he's starting high mm -hmm. school in next month. So I'm probably going to, I might as well keep, I love wholesaling. I'm good at it and we make a lot of money doing it. So I'll probably keep doing that. But once I start going away for months at a time, when I start moving to the Bahamas, then uh, I'll probably stop doing that. Or at least maybe I'll still do it when I'm here. Uh, and then doing the slow flips, I'll always buy. And it's interesting because I have a friend of mine who's one of the older guys who has been doing this. He started buying in the 70s. And he always jokes when people complain about interest rates. He's like, when I started, they were 18%, right? Mm -hmm. But when I had about, when I built back up from everything I lost and I got to about 75, 78 properties, I don't remember what the number was. I remember he was in the car with me and we were on our way to a ball game. And I said, uh, I said, I think I'm done. I said, I think I'm out. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And I said, I got more than I can spend, right? I got more money coming in every month than I'm spending. So like, why bother, right? And he, and he's a man of few words, but I remember he says, uh, he says, keep buying. And I'm like, I'm like, but why? You know, he's like, and he's like, Scott, you don't use any of your own money. It doesn't take any of your time. The opportunity is not going to be around forever. Why would you stop? And I'm so glad I had that little conversation because now I got, you know, 178 of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I have mm -hmm. 90 of them, 89 of them are free and clear already. And within five years, they're all free and clear. And so uh, it, it's little things like that. One little conversation, such a different magnitude of what I had, would have had now compared to what I do have. And so everybody's like, well, when am I going to stop? And then I'm like, well, I don't know that I will. You know? Yeah, yeah. And not only that, it's like, there's no stopping, I think, in the in in the game. Like, the game is fun to play. And the game is fun to figure out. At least this is how I feel about it, right? This is something that we could do when we're 80, 90. I mean, hell, look at Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Like, right. they could have stopped forever. Like, Charlie Munger's like 98 years old. Warren Buffett's 95 years old, right? It's like, they love the game, and the game is worth playing, and so they continue playing the game, right? right. As long as you enjoy playing the game, you could just stay, stay involved. But I, I remember the question I was going to ask you from earlier. How many, like, what's the payoff rate of these, right? Like, because people will sell after four years or five years, like what, what is it? What is that? What's so the churn? It, it happens. And we have a lot of them that did it over these last few years because the market went up so sure, much. It's crazy. And, and I love when they do it because it proves the model is a win, 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 which is what we want it to be. The lender wins, we win and our buyer wins. Cause sometimes an outside perspective person will be like, Oh, you're taking advantage of them. You, you bought it for 30 and you're selling it for 89. I'm like, go talk to them. They're loving me more than anything in the world. Cause this was their opportunity to own something. 100%. Right? And so, so a lot of them are still in them and they're just planning on the 30-year plan. And then some do pay off and, or refi or sell, but I'm um, not a huge percentage. But I try not just to do it myself, but I try to push it into my people that if you buy a house for 30 and you sell it for 90 and the guy pays you off a year later, two years later, is I, I try and teach people, I said, that's not your money. It's your obligation now to take that money and buy two or three more. The money it makes, and this is and this is the same way I feel about all money. I'm like, you could never spend your money. You can only spend the money that your money makes. If you spend your money, you're done and you're starting over again. But if you buy more with it, that money comes in every month. You can spend it all you want. You can go throw it up in the air. As long as you invested it first, and now you're spending the money, the income that comes from it. That you can spend all month long. You can throw it in the streets, do whatever you want with it. 
but you but can't never spend, touch the principal. You mm. can't spend the actual money, yeah. And as long as they keep doing it, that's why everybody's scaling and getting more and more. Somebody pays you off, and that turns into two or three more ones, and uh, we just keep going. I love that. If somebody wanted to learn more about this, Scott, right? Like, where where do they go? Did you have a website for this? So, yeah. So actually, I started to tell you earlier, and then I stopped. So I wrote a book called The Art of the Slow Flip. And, um, and I'm giving everybody, your listeners, and I know you said you got 30,000 people, so I don't know if I have that many. I got like three <laughs> printed right now. But I'm, but I'm giving a free copy to your listeners that want one if they go to slowflip.com. That's S-L-O-W-F-L-I-P.com and just pay the shipping and handling, which I think is $7.95. And I'm, I'm going to send them out a, a, a copy of The Art of the Slow Flip. And I literally didn't hold anything back in it. It goes from every piece of the puzzle from beginning to end on exactly how we do the entire process. Scott, well, I'm I'm personally glad that I connected with you and and had this conversation because I I need to revisit some areas, and I think one of the areas is is this right being able to to understand how to create this opportunity for myself, to learn how to create this opportunity for people within our grid network, I think is massively important, right? Well, you know, I I read a lot, I read a lot of books, and 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 I can't remember which one it was, one of the newer ones that I just read maybe two, three, five months ago. But he said something that I've been using, and I really like it a lot when he said that he said, I have something most people will never have, and that's enough. Mm -hmm. I have enough. And mm -hmm. I really liked that because mm -hmm. most people are doing the opposite. It doesn't matter how much they have. What they want is more. And I'm like, I'm like, no, I don't need more. We have enough. What we're doing, like you just said, we're doing it because that's who we are. That's what we do, right? But it's not because I need more. I don't need any bigger house or nicer cars. I don't need any more. I have enough. And, and, I, and that really gives you peace of mind to going through your day and through your life to have that mindset of, I don't need any more. We have enough. Well, Scott, you also know what freedom, what you, you know what it feels like not to be free. Yeah, You know absolutely. what I look, right? And that's a massive driver. Like when, when you know what it feels like not to be free, it's like you never want to go back there again. You want to do yeah. everything you possibly can to just say, I seek freedom. Yeah. So I know, I know we're, we're running out of time, but I want to tell you something else about, about that, about what it looks like. So the, the, the argument against everything that I do is what everyone teaches now. The Burr method, you know, refi, pull it out your money, buy more and use the bank's money and all the stuff that they love to talk about. And the reality to all of that is they're right, right? It's true and it will work and you will make more money doing that plan. And, but, but then I end it with if if everything stays going the way it was projected to go and there is no hiccups and there is no 2007, 2008 coming again. And they may not be, they might not be for the rest of our lives. But if there is, I'm not starting over again. That's it. So I'm, I'm going a different route where I listen, I'm just after the freedom. And, and yes, I know I could make more money if, but my goal is not to make as much money as possible. My goal is to live the best life possible. Mm. And so that's why I do this route. Mm. Well, with that, I think that puts the, the period, the full stop, in our conversation. Scott, thanks so much for, for joining us on the Income Flip. I really appreciate it. Thanks for and having me. I enjoyed it. And I love that name, the Income Flip. That's great. I love the, the thought process behind that. Cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate that feedback. Have a and I'll be first in line to get that book. So I'll, awesome. I'll be ordering it. Okay. Take care. Awesome. Bye -bye. Take it easy.